Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to Mind Over Money, a brand new financial well-being podcast. I'll be your host, Gemma Sherlock. You may know me from the mental health podcast. No, really, I'm fine. Well, I'm back, but for something slightly different. We've teamed up with our friends at NatWest to explore how our finances can have a huge impact on our mental health. Money may seem like the number one concern, but our minds should be a priority. Remember, mind over money. Fraud and scams have unfortunately been around for some time now. Scams are becoming more sophisticated and anyone can be affected. During the pandemic, we saw the emergence of new scams such as fake test and trace calls, as well as urging people to pay for the coronavirus vaccine. In this episode, I speak to Jason Costain, Head of Fraud Prevention at NatWest, about the different types of fraud he has dealt with. He also offers some important tips on how to recognise a scam and what to do if you found yourself to be a victim of one. So um, just for our listeners that might not know, I mean, do you want to just talk us through what fraud actually is and what sort of defines that as a criminal action? So in terms of fraud as a definition, so strictly speaking, it's a a wrongful or criminal deception intended to result in financial or personal gain. So someone basically being dishonest to enrich themselves. I guess in terms of the general public in the UK, you're more likely to become a victim of fraud than any other crime these days. And really what the criminals are targeting us for is access to our cash. And typically they know the best way to do that is to target you and and your bank accounts. Obviously, scams have been unfortunately going on for a long time and, and they've adapted haven't they in the digital world but have they been going on during the pandemic we've seen a, an increase in in fraud in general uh, in the last 12 months or so and you know fraud takes many forms but i'll focus on the, the type of fraud that we see and that's most prevalent for our customers so a slight difference between what we would describe in the industry as fraud versus a scam so Fraud, in the way we look at it, is usually somebody's trying to impersonate you. So using the example of your bank account, they might phone the bank, pretend to be you. They might know an awful lot of information about you, passwords, et cetera, that they've stolen or obtained through somebody who sold the information to them on the dark web. And then they will impersonate you and try and move money from your account. A scam is more, and that's this is the growth area really, but a scam is more where the criminals are targeting members of the public direct and persuading them to part with the cash. So a great example would be a purchase scam. So you might see pedigree dogs are highly sought after at the moment during the pandemic. A lot of people looking for an animal to keep them company during lockdown, get them out walking, etc. And you might come across dogs for sale on the internet. You might uh, find them on a, a you know a popular auction website like eBay or Shbok, Gumtree. And what the fraudsters will do And by the way, there are genuine sellers out there, of course, but what the fraudsters will do is they will try and create a profile that looks legitimate. They will definitely have photographs and even video of real dogs 
airport, gradually what they'll try and do is persuade you to pay them direct. So rather than paying through safety, you know, following the instructions on their auction site or wherever you've seen, and they might say to you, okay, can you just make a payment into my bank account? Mm. And that's where the problems start because people will pay quite often all the money up front, you know, a thousand pounds or so for a pedigree dog, and then they never hear from the person again. And when they contact them through email, there's no response and they later find out that they've been duped. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of people fall victim to scams for highly sought after goods. So pedigree dogs is one, hot tubs is another, camper vans is another, PlayStation 5 is another, latest iPhones another. The criminals will target highly sought after goods because, you know, people are desperate for a bargain and will perhaps be persuaded to part with cash up front to get that deal. You know, they follow the trend and we've seen people being exploited over the last 12 months. That's grown. So we've seen an increase first half of 2020 to second half of 2020. But purchase scams, the ones I described there, that's grown by 68%. So a big increase. And like you say, it's hard for the genuine sellers, isn't it? Because I'm actually looking for, for a dog at the moment just because I've been saving up for years. It's really hard to find one and, and to know where to eat. I mean, for example, I'm quite aware of all the scams and even people who, who are aware, it's, it can be quite easily done, I suppose, can't it? You know, um, anyone can sort of get duped if they are desperate to have that item. There's some basic checks you can do. So, I mean, the first thing I'd say is I'd look for signs that someone's a reputable seller. You know, that mightn't solely be you know, trust pilot scores or, or positive reviews because some of those can be fabricated. But, you know, you're looking for, exist- for some proof that someone's been in existence in this line of business for a while. Um, you know, you're looking for me, I'd be looking for proof that I can get hold of them. And they might publish a landline number, for example, rather than a mobile phone number. Um, and, you know, in terms of contact, they, they should be pretty interested in the quality of the goods and you as a customer, whereas the scammers will probably be more interested in you know, that receiving that payment quickly into their bank account. So I'd say that someone who's, who's genuinely selling uh, something is probably going to try quite a bit harder to to win your business and to reassure you that they're genuine. But the ultimate kind of, I guess, things you need to do is just consider, would you pay for anything in advance when you've never seen it and pay that money to someone you've never met? If you are thinking of doing that, then the best way to pay is using a bank card. Uh, If someone asks you to pay direct to their bank account, then I'd think long and hard before I sent that money because the chance of getting it back is, if it's a fraudster, are minimal and that's where if, if i if i buy things off a private individual it's probably because i've seen it on an auction site and i will follow the payment instructions on the auction site to the letter they'll tell you how to keep safe and spot uh, fake goods so uh, i'd just pay attention to the advice you're given look for that fraud advice and definitely don't send money up front for something you've never seen to someone you've never met when you when you step back from the second and just listen to that you know a thousand pounds direct to the bank account of someone you've never met for something you've never seen on the promise of a dog being delivered to your door in a few days time you probably wouldn't do it you know so i'd say be wary of someone who asks you to do that that's a that's a telltale sign and as well as frauds just taking advantage of you know popular popular trends and popular items to buy there's the other side of the coin isn't it that's going on at the moment in terms of for example i've seen and i don't know if you're, you've been involved with these type of ones, Jason, but I've seen a lot of people, you know, being scammed by HMRC to do with tax and also to do with 
pay for the vaccine, the COVID vaccine. Um, and there's been quite a lot of that going on at the moment, hasn't there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that they're, they're, they're death. So like I said earlier, you know, the criminals will look for the latest trend, something that could appeal to people in society you might fall for it. So yeah, we've seen um, phishing campaigns. This is large volumes of emails going out that look like an NHS branded email saying, please click here to confirm, click, click here to register for your vaccine. When you click there, the next thing they're asking for is, is your bank details, which they say is to confirm your address. Obviously, nothing of the sorts required. You know, so the criminals will use the latest trend, and yeah, they'll impersonate NHS, they'll impersonate HMRC. Usually, it's on a promise of something. You know, you need to do this to get your vaccine, or you need to click here to get your tax rebate, or maybe you need to click here because your TV license is expired, or your driver's license is expired. And um, so, there's usually some kind of sense of urgency attached to the request and then if you find you do click on that link and straight away they're asking you for your personal details name address bank account information card number etc that's where you just need to stop because no organization just needs your bank details and mm. um, just like that so we, yeah we've seen lots of different scam types they do change depending on the latest scanner trend and, and what's in the news but the easy way to check when you get an, an email is you know you can hover your mouse or you can click on the, the sender's name and it might say hmrc on the face of it but when you click on it you'll see that um, behind it is quite a complex email address that might be nothing to do with hmrc so that's an easy way to check if it's from a scammer check the email address it came from so hover your mouse over the sender's email address and it'll expand it show you what it actually is and you can get a good usually tell from that that it's it's from a criminal and the national cyber security center does run a national email phishing reporting service now so if, you, if people google national cyber security center and email reporting there's, a, there's an email address to send all these things to hmm. I, i've got it now as a bit of, it's a default in my address book on my email account and i quite enjoy making those reports because you become really good at spotting them in the end. And uh, I think I've personally sent back something like 250 uh, scam emails to uh, National Cyber Security Centre and they will take down um, this website that you're directed to and they will in interrupt the, the phishing in future. So it's a good way individuals can actually have a, an impact that benefits other people. Definitely. And is there any other types of ones that you've noticed during the pandemic that people should be made aware of? Um, I'd say investment is the other big increase area. So again, back to second half of 2020, we've seen an 80% increase in investment fraud scams compared to the first half of last year. So investment fraud scams um, can take many forms, but the, the most prevalent one we're seeing people fall victim to now is people who are, who are looking to invest in cryptocurrency. So I think you know that there's been quite a lot of media attention to the price of Bitcoin recently, and you know there's some concerns from regulators around Bitcoin as a currency. But you know you're able to invest in it. So my comments today really aren't about you know the safety of investing in Bitcoin. It can go down as well as up. But I think there's well over a hundred cryptocurrencies out there, and there's there's several different cryptocurrency exchanges where you can buy cryptocurrency, you can invest in cryptocurrency. When you say cryptocurrency, do you mean the likes of Bitcoin and, and things like that? Oh, yeah. So Bitcoin's the most well-known one. Hmm. And it's a real thing, but there's, there's well over 100 or so cryptocurrencies out there that you could potentially invest in. You know, personally, I wouldn't invest in, in cryptocurrency full stop, but I'm quite risk averse. 
if people want to look ahead to the Financial Conduct Authority's website, they'll see guidance on cryptocurrency investment fraud. I guess the main point for me is if, if people think they want to invest in cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin or otherwise, they need to be really cautious. And we're seeing people being persuaded to part with money to criminals who've set up what are look very sophisticated cryptocurrency trading platforms on the internet. So victims will search for cryptocurrency on Google might pop up a, a cryptocurrency trading platform where you can effectively transfer your money into your, your online trading wallet. And then from there, you can invest in different types of investments, including cryptocurrencies. But we're having lots, lots and lots of victims report to us that actually the entire thing was a sham. So the, the, the cryptocurrency trading platform was just set up purely to defraud people when um, individuals send money to these platforms and put it in their wallet. They're finding out that they can't get it back, and the the the, the company, the trading platform that they they invested through, are non-responsive when they attempt to cash out um, their investments. So the criminals are really, really sophisticated. They'll they'll advertise on the internet. They'll have quite sophisticated-looking trading platforms and, and and accounts on online, so it looks like you've got a trading account with money in it, and they'll even simulate growth in your investment. So let's say you clicked on one of these adverts, transferred £5,000. Criminals a few days later will be in touch and say, isn't this great? Your investment's now worth £6,500. The market's gone up. Would you like to invest more? And we're seeing people invest several times, tens of thousands of pounds on the promise of growth that's all fictitious. It's all fictitious. So I think if this is something you want to do, like I say, Go to the FCA site, do, a, do your research, pick a cryptocurrency trading platform that's reputable based in the UK and go from there. Don't pick some of these cryptocurrency trading platforms I've seen have been based in Azerbaijan, West African countries. It's, it's not the kind of place you want to be investing your money when you've got a perfectly well-run, regulated investment regime in the UK. Overseas investments, particularly in cryptocurrency, are extremely high risk as far as I can see. Jason, how long have you been head of fraud prevention at NatWestern? Well, I've worked in fraud prevention for 20 years or more. Um, I've done this particular role for the last uh, three or four years. And what made you want to get into it? Is, it? is it something you've always been interested in? And I mean, imagine it's quite rewarding helping people as well as sort of learning yourself about the latest frauds. I mean, I, my background is just working for a bank. So you know, I, I guess even even in my early days of working in a bank, I came across fraud. So that would have been in those days, check fraud. And I think what first sort of piqued my interest was as a cashier in a branch many years ago, I used to have to deal with customers who'd reported the checkbooks uh, stolen. And you'd then see the checks coming out of their account that had been forged by a criminal. You look at those checks and what's in front of you is a is a piece of evidence. So that would be preserve the evidence, make sure you don't get your own fingerprints on it, and then report it into the police. And we used to do that to the local CID at the time that, that there was actually a, a fraud squad. And um, I noticed in, in some, some of those checks in that the handwriting was pretty similar on a lot of them. So what, right. we, what we were able to identify myself and a few colleagues in local branches was that we had the same check fraudster committing fraud and stealing checkbooks from from a number of people in the local area. And obviously, it's all associated with 
burglary and theft of other items. So this wasn't just check fraud, it was criminality. And a breakthrough for me came one day when I was on the counter and someone wrote out a check in front of me to cash. And I recognised the handwriting. Um, And I looked the guy in the eye and said, your name's not Mr. Smith. And I actually gave him his real name because by that point, the police had told me who the police knew it was. They just hadn't arrested him. So I said, your name's not Mr. Smith. Your name's, you know, whatever it was. And uh, he ran off. Uh, So it's quite satisfying, got me interested. The police uh, did arrest him eventually and charged him with multiple counts of check fraud and and, uh, theft and burglary and all sorts. So, uh, you know, pleased to say that individual ended up behind bars. But uh, yeah, that got me interested in fraud. And from then on, finding that you learn something new every day. Yeah, I imagine you know, as time goes on, they've become scams and, and types of fraud have become a lot more sophisticated now, haven't they? Yeah, that's right. And I think with, you know, with, if you think back to even the internet and um, internet banking, it's only really become a thing for the mass market, if you like, in the last five to 10 years. And it's only really in that time frame that fiber optic cables encircle the globe and, and pretty much every country, capital cities particularly, and areas of population density in developing countries now have access to the internet. So basically, we're, we are now all within reach of each other and we've got uh, money and we're an attractive uh, target for criminals based in other countries who are often quite difficult to be on the reach of UK law enforcement. So as a proposition, you know, it's something that's quite appealing perhaps to criminals overseas to attack UK citizens. So what we've seen in the last 10 years is, as you'd expect, exploitation of online banking, UK payment systems, and criminals increasingly will target individuals, like I say, trying to persuade them to move their money. So that's why, you know, when I said earlier, fraud's now the number one crime. That is, according to the Office of National Statistics, you're more likely to be a victim of fraud than any other crime. Uh, I don't know about you, but every day I'll think, okay, I've locked the door, I've put the alarm on, you know, I'm out in the car, I've got my valuables out of sight. Mm. Do people really pay as much attention to their own fraud safety? Probably not is the answer. So Yeah, I certainly don't. Yeah. It's probably the crime you're most likely to come across. How does the impact then of a, a scam or a fraud, how does it affect a victim's life? I mean, both on a personal and financial level. I can honestly say it's, I haven't spoken to a number of victims over the years, it, it can be quite devastating, particularly on scams where the individual may have considered themselves to be pretty savvy and they may have fallen for a, a scam that was quite sophisticated and plausible to them. And, you know, I've, I've seen people losing life-changing amounts of money um, when it happens. There's a sense of disbelief at first and then after that to be honest with you there's a lot of shame where people feel ashamed of what's happened because they felt something that you know in hindsight often does look obvious and we then see perhaps you know a lack of confidence as well in future financial transactions and it really impacts people in that way so you know some of the investment scams romance scams purchase scams we do see criminals targeting older people you know, the more likely to be at home answering the phone, the more likely to have disposable cash. And, you know, quite often an independent old person who's, who's been happily using their, their, you know, managing their own money for their life. When after they've scammed, quite often they will seek the help of family members to run their finances. And obviously the family members become quite concerned about them being targeted again and losing more money. So it can have some quite significant long term impacts on victims. That's why we work with a victim support charity that we'll uh, refer fraud victims to if they want to talk to them. And we constantly do fraud education and advice that expands the ages. And, and we, we educate our customers, but also 
engage with the media. We even have a Money Sense program that we uh, offer free to schools. Our staff will talk to school children uh, and teachers about money management and frauds, one of the topics. And two and a half million kids, 33,000 teachers have used that. And it's an ongoing problem, slightly changed due to COVID. No face to face as much these days. But you know, we're trying to reach people right from the start of their financial life to help them be savvy around money management and be aware of the risks of fraud. I just want to pick up again on the impact. I know a lot of elderly people are targeted, but other victims, they might be scared to go online after it's happened because obviously the online world now is, is a big part of our lives. So I can imagine that can be quite isolating if it's if it's something that's happened online and, and then um, just terrified to go back online. And terrified is, you know, a word I hear. It's not the first time I've heard that word mentioned. I mean, what I would say is that it can have that effect and it can put people off. But, you know, I'd, I'd say there's probably some basic things we can all do just to protect ourselves. And that, for me, would start with just only use online shops to buy things from that you've actually heard of. If it's a new merchant online, you know, who are they? How did you find them? You know, and if it's a large amount of money, Get a friend involved, tell them what you're planning on doing. Go and research it first. Um, just because you can send a, you know, a reasonable amount of cash instantly these days uh, from the comfort of your own home using online banking or your mobile phone, it doesn't mean you should. And you know, a decent merchant, like I said earlier, will try and prove to you that they're genuine. So you know, using your plastic card, your bank card, to buy goods from a reputable merchant, you probably won't go far wrong avoiding sending money direct to people's bank accounts, people you've never met for, for goods you've never seen. That will probably keep you safe from fraud. And the only other thing I'd say is, if you think about fraud, actually, quite a lot of the criminals will need some personal information of yours, and they'll use that and ring you up and try and persuade you um, that maybe they're calling from the bank or the police and they need to, you need to part with some money to keep you safe. Or you know, your card details might get stolen somewhere from a, a website that's been hacked. Ultimately, you can't stop data theft from happening on the internet, but you can certainly be more cautious with who you give your data to. I see quite regularly popping up in front of me on reputable websites and uh, search engines you know, offers for cheap iPhones or to win uh, free supermarket shopping vouchers. And when you get into those and you click on them, you'll be asked a number of survey questions, but inevitably they'll ask for your bank details on personal information. And then, you know, two, three days later, you might get a call from somebody who seems to know a lot about you. So I guess what I'm saying is be really wary about who you give your information to online and even just an innocuous competition where you give away your name, address, and phone number and date of birth could lead you to be targeted in a couple of days' time. So quite often, you know, don't be your own worst enemy, I guess is, is what I'm saying. You can't help a data breach and, and they lose your details, but what you can help is giving your information away freely to people because there might be an actual competition, but what they are trying to do is harvest victim details and you might have just given your information away to a fraudster. That's really interesting, yeah. So say if I've just become a victim of fraud, any other listeners who, who may have unfortunately found themselves in that situation, what is the first thing that they should do? Uh, I'd say absolutely first thing to do is contact the bank. I mean, assuming that most of the fraud that happens is, is bank related. So you might have paid somebody or, I don't know, you might see money taken from your accounts uh, that you don't remember making the transaction for. Speak to the bank immediately. I think every bank fraud team is on tap 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You need to go to the genuine bank website 
and look up the number that's there and phone that number. You know, we do see criminals impersonating banks these days. We've even seen people thinking they're reporting fraud and they're actually speaking to the criminals who've defrauded them. So there's definitely a need to act quickly and to contact the bank. They'll take you through what you need to do from there. But primarily, you know, changing your password, uh, suspending your internet banking, replacing plastic cards. These are all things that can be done quite quickly. Yeah, I'd say contact the bank first. And then secondly, you might want to speak to law enforcement and perhaps a family friend you trust to help you if you feel you need some. So what's the process after that then with NatWest? What happens? It really depends on the type of fraud and, and the customer. So we get most of our fraud reports done over the phone, but people will also go into a branch. If it's a customer who's potentially vulnerable, then you know, we have a community support team who we'll, we'll involve. So our community bankers, we've got specialist staff trained in every part of the country. The branch staff know how to get that team involved. So quite often when we've got fraud victim, particularly of scams where they might have been persuaded to part with a significant sum of money, perhaps for that bogus investment or because the criminals rang them up, impersonated the bank and persuaded them that they needed to move their money somewhere. Your bank would never do that. But we'll call in the police. We'll also call in our community support team. And quite often, the community protection managers will be the first people involved in helping that victim recover. So we'll be perhaps contacting law enforcement, contacting social work, trying to get hold of family to support, particularly for vulnerable customers, this is to try and get some that sort of support around them. And, you know, we will constantly monitor their accounts until we, we know they're safe. If it's the likes of you and I and, you know, we're, we've just been defrauded and we, we just need help through it, then the thing they'll do, try and do is protect you. So lock your accounts down, replace your cards, etc. Then it will be try and help recover some money and put you right into financially. And then obviously from that, we will give advice to people on how to avoid being uh, defrauded again. So, yeah, several different steps we'll take and we will go to quite long lengths to try and help people particularly if we feel they're vulnerable. I feel like we've covered quite a lot there Jason is there anything you feel like I've not asked that you want to talk about or add? Uh, I'd, I'd say just if, if I could. Of course. Just get people to think about fraud and how it works. The criminals want your details that's the main thing and then from that they've got your personal details they'll contact you either through email on your email address or they'll phone you primarily. So Make it hard for them. So don't give your information away too freely, like I said earlier, is one tip I'd definitely try and follow. The other thing I'd try and do as well is, and, and criminals do rely on us doing this, it's human nature, but uh, people tend to use the same or similar passwords with multiple online accounts. And if you think about this, the criminals rely on us doing this. And what they're hoping that you'll do is that you'll use the same password, perhaps with the place you go to buy your online dog food or who you book your flights with, or even the gym you go to. They'll hope that you use the same password for that website as you might do safe for your email account. And if you think about that, we're making it easy for them. If that's what you do, you've made it easy for the criminals because the first thing they'll check is your local gym might have really weak IT security. You know, you probably don't even think that when you're working out. But if you've got an account with them, they've got your email address. They've got your date of birth. They've got your phone number. They've got your address. And also they'll have your password. If somebody in that organization or a criminal is able to hack into their computers, then your details are then in the hand of criminals. And the first thing criminals will do is check that the password they've harvested from your gym, they'll try and use that password with your email account. And if you think about your email account, it's the place that you go to reset your passwords. So if you need to do a password reset on anything, they'll probably email you a reset code to your email account. So you're very quickly as a criminal into your life and the ability to 
start resetting passwords, taking over your accounts, seeing who you've uh, messaged recently, perhaps piggybacking on the back of some of those messages. So I'd say with the hundreds of online accounts you might have and, and, and passwords you might use, try and make them all unique. If you can't, then try and at least make your email accounts and your bank account passwords unique because they're the ones the criminals really want. So don't make it too easy for them. I would recommend using a password keeper. If people want to Google password keepers, you know, there's several different companies who will offer those services. And uh, even the, depending on which mobile phone, there'll, there'll be sort of password security on there. So I'd encourage people to use unique passwords, but definitely for your email accounts and definitely for your bank accounts. Mm. Don't make it easy for criminals. I suppose, not that I'm making excuses, well, maybe for myself, it's just so easy to forget your password sometimes, isn't it? And it's such, it can be such a pain, but I suppose the little stress of forgot your password is nowhere near compared to being a victim of a scam so definitely worth doing isn't it and i've got on my phone um two-step verification so if yeah, i have actually yeah. forgot my password they'll send me a text code instead yeah i think if you start to look at your companies like apple google they do offer you mentioned you've got an iphone you know if you go into your your iphone uh, settings menu you'll see there's this, there's this section called passwords you can actually get your phone to autofill passwords and it'll even, even recommend complex passwords to use and if you begin to use that then probably means you'll forget less passwords. Mm. And if you ever need to put a password in manually, you can probably go to your, your iPhone and look at your security settings and your passwords and you can you can retrieve it. So that's just one example of a password keeper type service. Right, okay. And these companies will give you some really good advice. You know, for example, the password keeping service I've got, it tells me which websites I'm using the same passwords for and recommends changing them. And it'll also tell me when certain websites have been featured in a data breach. My password might have been stolen, so it's prompting me to change my password. So it's actually not just a secure place to keep passwords and help you keep them unique and remember them, but these companies start to prompt you to adopt better sort of online habits. The first step, just make sure your email account password unique, your online banking password unique, start from there. And then have a good look at password keeping services and uh, and, and get a bit more organised. Yeah, that's going to be my job after this, I think. <laughs> I'll have a look while it's fresh in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, I think that's a good place to finish. Clearly, Gemma, I could talk for hours, but yeah, we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> and I'd say, you know, those simple safety tips I gave through this interview, you know, I, I've not suffered fraud for many years, so uh, I must be doing something right. But uh, no, that's all from me. Um, good luck. Thank you. Well, I've certainly learned a lot. So let's hope people listening do as well. So thank you very much for your time, Jason. And you take Cheers. That was Jason Costain discussing types of frauds and scams and how they can have an impact on people's well-being. Now I speak to Kat Livesey, Senior Fraud Prevention Analyst, about a particular type of scam called Money Mules. Money Mules is targeting the younger generation through social media and other online services. Let's find out more. Today I am joined by Kat Livesey who works for NatWest in the fraud department. Is that correct Kat? Uh, yes that is correct. Thank you for having me. Thank you for, for joining us today and we're particularly focusing on a new scam 
Obviously, during the coronavirus pandemic, unfortunately, there's been a resurgence and an increase in scams, um, which are becoming quite sophisticated and are particularly targeting vulnerable people. But I mean, anyone can be affected by a scam, I suppose. But Money Mules, I've not heard of this before. So do you want to just talk me through it, Cap? Has it appeared during the pandemic? So money muling is a long-standing problem for the financial industry. With COVID, we've definitely seen it kind of take different angles, but it's definitely not a new issue for the financial industry. And money muling is essentially a form of money laundering. So it's not quite a scam in itself. And essentially what happens is when criminals come into contact with fraudulent funds that they have obtained, They basically want to pass it through the banking system as quickly as possible, which makes it harder to detect. And these funds then will go on to fund other forms of criminal activity. So, for instance, human trafficking, the illegal drugs trade and terrorism, things like that. So it is definitely a very serious form of financial crime. So how does it appear then? How does it work? So there's two, typically there's two different types of um, money mule. There are organised criminal gangs who will work to open bank accounts, sometimes using the likes of fake IDs and fake documentation. And that would, what we would call, you know, like a witting money mule. They know what they're doing and they know that they're breaking the law. Mm. However, we also see quite a key group, which is unwitting money mules, So these are people who have been recruited without the knowledge of what this actually is. And if we kind of look at a typical case of an unwitting money mule, victims are often contacted or recruited on social media. They might see something along the lines of a job offer and they will be told that they will have some money deposited into their bank account. And all they'll need to do is transfer it onto another bank account. The person who has been recruited will also be told that they can take a small cut of the funds, which then gives them an incentive to go through with the crime. That's interesting because in my normal line of role, I'm a a journalist. So when we sometimes post stories on our Facebook pages, we do get comments from Facebook users uh, offering people jobs and things like that. And you know, offering people to click on these links and and there's so much spam that I have to delete. And I have noticed it appearing quite a bit, but I didn't realise it was was part of sort of that. I think with anything that looks like spam is, you know, the message we would tell you as a bank is you've always got to be careful. And I think the kind of underlying message for everything is if something looks too good to be true, then it probably is. So yeah, I definitely don't envy the amount of um, auditing on your comments and stuff that you'll have to do. I know, I make it sound like it's the worst thing in the world, but obviously the worst thing in the world is, you know, the victims of these scams, if you like. They're quite clever in the sense that they know people are struggling for jobs at the moment, aren't they, in the pandemic? So it's quite sad really that people are desperate and obviously applying for these things in the hope that they can get on during the pandemic as well. Yeah, absolutely. So the pandemic has obviously caused huge amounts of financial worry to so many people across the country. And often with unwitting money mules, we see this impact in a younger demographic. So typically between the ages of about 17 and 30, 17 and 25. So if you think about somebody who typically fits into that demographic, whether they're in full-time, part-time study, or if they're working in a job, then a lot of those might have part-time jobs in the likes of retail or hospitality and obviously at the moment those jobs 
just aren't functioning. So it does leave people in a more financially vulnerable situation. And I think this level of vulnerability, one, means that people are more susceptible to falling victim to fraud themselves. But it might also mean that they're more likely to commit fraud themselves. And these criminals who organise the money mule in, they could advertise it as, you know, a working from home opportunity, um, especially at the moment with the pandemic. And they are able to make it look incredibly enticing for um, a lot of people. And do they mainly use the form of social media? Yeah, so social media is um, a big one for us. So Facebook, obviously. Instagram, Snapchat, and interestingly, coming up is TikTok. We've seen a few accounts on TikTok that have been recruiting mules or advising people on how they can scam people, things like that. And whilst some social media companies are quite proactive in taking down these accounts, it's almost just as easy for a mule herder or mule recruiter to just go and then set up another account elsewhere and basically try and do the same thing. And is that why that particular age range is being targeted then because of their most likely to be on social media or is there another reason as well? Yeah, I think as well it's it's this idea that it's quick cash as well. I think that's definitely enticing to that younger audience because all these people say is you're going to get some money in, you get to keep however much, 30, 50, 100 pounds of this money and all you've got to do is send it on to another bank account. And often what these mule recruiters will do is that if there's anything suspicious that might come up and if the victim does kind of question it, they'll just say, oh, you know, it's, it's just part of the job. It's absolutely fine. And I think for a lot of younger people who are dealing with um, maybe university, living away from home for the first time, you know, learning about financial independence in a way, of course, it's going to make them more vulnerable to potentially falling victim to to this kind of scheme. So essentially, the victims are offered promises that aren't there or offered something that isn't real, essentially. And how else does it affect them then once they've unfortunately fallen into that trap? As a bank, we use sophisticated profiling technology. So if we identify a transaction that we would deem suspicious on somebody's account, we will look to exit that bank account and um, where appropriate, we will escalate that to CIFAS, which is an industry fraud body. Um, and what this means for the person who has been caught up in this potentially knowingly or potentially they don't know what they've done is they won't be able to get a bank account, won't be able to open a bank, a bank account with another bank which then in turn has so many implications because it can ruin their credit score you wouldn't be able to do things like get a mobile phone contract you can't process any loans or student loans things like that um, and in the future it can really really impact you when you're looking for jobs and things like that so there's definitely long-standing consequences of taking part in this and I think that is what people fail to recognise when they see an advert for something that is going to give them quick cash. Ultimately, can it lead to potentially a criminal record? Yes, it can. So money mule crimes in the UK can carry up to 14 years in prison. Wow. Yeah. So how, how do NatWest help and what point do they come in? So as a bank, we do a huge amount to tackle financial fraud and it is at the heart of what we do. So in terms of raising awareness for our customers, we have programs such as Money Sense, which educates children from the ages of five to 18 about fraud and scams. 
We've also partnered with National Trading Standards to deliver Friends Against Scams educational programs. And we have dedicated community bankers who deliver training and awareness to communities across the country. We also support the industry-wide education initiative Take 5. And we give customers additional warnings at the point of payment if there's anything that we would deem to be high risk. All of our frontline staff, branch and telephony, for instance, are continually trained to ensure that they are up to date with the latest fraud trends. So there is a lot that we do from a young age to, um, you know, protecting older and more vulnerable customers. But it's also important that we can use other channels such as this one to try and get the word out about what it means to to be a money mule and to be complicit in financial crime. Yeah, of course. And listeners who might be listening who aren't with NatWest, I imagine other banks are aware of this money mules as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we collaborate really closely with the likes of law enforcement and other banks to ensure that we're working together to do what we can to stop this crime. So what advice would you give Kat to someone who's not sure if something's too good to be true? And what would you say to a potential victim to possibly avoid a money mule? The key thing for any kind of fraud and scam is if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And that is just something that we want in the back of people's brains whenever they're dealing with a new person that they might need to make a financial transaction with. So if you feel pressured into doing something and making a transaction on somebody else's behalf, just pause and take thought. There's no shame in contacting a family or a friend to kind of talk it over and see what the risks are. And obviously, if there's anything that you are super concerned about, or if you do think that you've fallen victim to fraud or a scam, then do get in contact with the bank. And we also have dedicated web pages on our security centre to give more detailed fraud advice to people as well. Brilliant. I feel like we've covered quite a bit there, Kat. Is there anything you want to add if you feel like I've not asked? I guess the other one that we've kind of seen emerging as part of the pandemic is around criminals exploiting people for the likes of loans as well, which comes into the money mulling aspect. So what criminals are doing is they're advertising fake loans online, which people will then apply for. The victim is then contacted by this supposed loan company and they've told that they've been rejected for the loan because their credit score isn't high enough and they can improve it by receiving some money into their account and then they just need to transfer it on to another account. So this one's particularly difficult as well because the victim here is, you know, doing it in good faith. They've actually sought out a loan opportunity and there's probably very little that would make them think that this wouldn't be correct. But again, if somebody is asking you to transfer funds on their behalf and it's not somebody that you've met or that you know, then I would definitely err on the side of caution. Mm, red flag that, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah, well, um, it's that's very interesting. Thank you so much for your time today, Kat. I do appreciate it and, and you take care. Thank you for having me. No worries. Thank you for listening to Mind Over Money. If you would like more information on ways you can help your financial well-being, then reach out to your bank. If you are struggling financially, then your bank should be your first point of call. They are there to help. You can also reach out to mental health charities such as Rethink Mental Illness via their website at rethink.org. Citizens Advice also offer free advice to help you find a way forward whatever the problem.
visit their website via www.citizensadvice.org.uk or call 0800 Thank you for listening to Minds Over Money. If you would like more information on ways you can help your financial well-being, then reach out to your bank. If you are struggling financially, then your bank should be your first point of call. They are there to help. You can also reach out to mental health charities such as Rethink Mental Illness via their website at rethink.org. Citizens Advice also offer free advice to help you find a way forward, whatever the problem. Visit their website via citizensadvice.org.uk or call 0800 144 That's 0800 144